This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two amazing human beings, Kira Shamborski. Hey. And Tia Vasiliu. Hello. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm super excited that you're both here. Super excited that we're not talking about manga anymore like we were last week. Instead, we're going to be talking about way more awesome things. But let's start with the thing that we talk about every week at the beginning of the show. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with Tia. Well, I've kind of been falling apart. Oh. But, yeah. Oh, no. I know. It's what happens when your consciousness is trapped in decaying organic matter. So, you know, what can you do? <laughs> you are just waiting oh, for no. the cyborg revolution, aren't you? <laughs> I was going to say, oh, I am so scared of a robot Tia. Like <laughs> That would be so good. Oh, I want to read that comic book now. Yes. Please, someone... <laughs> I have no artistic skill, so I'm afraid I can't make that happen. But uh, I have been reading comics made by people with vast artistic skills, so that's been nice. That is a plus. I read uh, Star Wars number 32, which is Screaming Citadel number four. This is the one just to remind everyone that switching back and forth between Star Wars and Dr. Afra. This installment was written by Jason Aaron, Art by Salvador LaRocco, who I love on Star Wars books, and it was super nice to have him, you know, back in the fold on this story. And uh, yes, more screaming. <laughs> I, always, I just, yeah. I always imagine, I imagine this book with like Screaming Citadel, it's just the sound of a TIE fighter flying to the sky, like, yeah, like it sounds like someone's screaming. Pretty no, much. I, th- I think it's really actually just more traditional human screaming. <laughs> Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good fun. I also read Winnebago Graveyard, number one. This is a new image book by Steve Niles with art by uh, Ditya Bidkar and Allison Sampson and Jordi Belair and Stefan Petro. And I, this book has a lot of hype. I didn't love it. I kind of wish that there had been more to it it seemed a little abrupt to me it didn't hook me but the colors were so enticing that i'm willing to keep keep going just the colors are driving you through this book just the colors i'm i'm such a i don't know like a little magpie for pretty comic colors i mean it's (laughs) that's awesome that is so cool because so far it's just a pretty typical like texas chainsaw massacre hills have eyes kind of thing and i'm like all right, you know, what What else What else you got? Pretty colors, I guess. Okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I also got caught up on Lazarus. The fifth trade came out. That's, um, is someone applauding somewhere? That's me. Oh, That's good. me applauding. Yeah. <laughs> Greg Rucka goodness. The one I want to talk about that everyone should be reading, but I bet you're not, and you should really fix that, is Helena Crash. Number four came out. This is an IDW book by Fabian Wrangel Jr. and art by Warwick Johnson Cadwell, who I think is like one of my new favorite artists because of this book. And I've talked about it. Have I on this podcast before, right? Yeah. I believe so, but I think it might have been a I'm reading this and then moved on. So okay. could you give us a primer on this book? So it's a it's a world where coffee is illegal. It's a it's a scarce commodity. Oh, yes. And You're describing it New York's hell. <laughs> like, oh. The entire city of New York. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, and uh, there are aliens and creatures and all sorts of bizarre, you know, 
people who populate this world. And Helena is a black market sort of dealer. She can get you coffee. She also has like her group of of people, her friends, her family, which include a guy who can fix cars and a guy who runs like an old boxing gym. So it's a neat mashup between like sci-fi, but also there's this like kind of really classic gangster, like car racing, fighting noises, <laughs> it's it's a mashup of all those things and so this like kind of lucha gangster wants to hire her to be an assassin and she's like nah and then this like ninja gangster wants to hire her to be an assassin and she's like nah and then all kinds of fighting happens and it's really great it's <laughs> <This sounds laughs> like a thing that shouldn't work and yet you're making it seem like it does oh, so yeah. I really think that the, re- the reason that it works is because Fabian Wrangle Jr. is really good at writing scenarios that are going to show off Warwick Johnson Cadwell's art to the best of like that it can possibly be. This guy is so freaking creative. His style is really unique. It's I've described it as pointy and mid-century modern all combined into one. And he's just he's so creative when it comes to background details and background characters and you know just um it's a it's a really stylized way of doing things, but it's a really effective storytelling method and just so engaging. So you have to read Helena Crash. Wow, you you've sold me at least on the first trade. I think I will pick up this trade. I think that this is a mini, <laughs> uh, six issue mini, and so this is issue oh. four. And I was a little confused, honestly, because it felt like a wrap up, and I was huh. like, no. I need more this should be the, I wish this issue had been longer and then I went back and looked and it actually isn't the end maybe it's five anyway there's more and I'm like okay good so there's yeah I'm I'm glad because this installment felt just a little bit crammed in you know and I'm like oh that's too bad I wish they'd had longer but I guess they do have longer so I am interested to see like it I hope that what is coming next is going to indicate that there maybe will be like a second season or something like that gotcha i can respect a book that does mini series you know individual stories me too i think that's that's definitely a plus in my mind all right kara so uh wonder woman continues to change my life because a lot of my non-nerdy friends have now gotten around to seeing it and they all want to talk about it. And I'm like, yes, let me tell you mm-hmm. all of the things. And mm-hmm. and it's just been really exciting to see so many people come out of that movie liking the character and realizing, and more importantly, I think realizing that what they saw in that movie is not something that they're getting elsewhere. Like, a lot of my female friends came out of that movie saying, like, oh, my God, I didn't even realize that I was missing a non-sexualized power fantasy, and then I was given it, and now that's all I want. I'm like, I know, right? Like, like <laughs> how is this not a huge no-brainer? So It was so good. I, I saw it last night. It, it was absolutely amazing. I have not seen it yet, and I have a question, because... Yes. How is she non-sexualized when she's still wearing a flippin' bathing suit? Well, okay, I'll give you that. And there is this one, there's two wardrobe choices that where I'm still kind of like raising my eyebrows real hard. But on the whole, it's major steps up from, if you recall, Black Widow's 
debut into the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Iron Man 2 where she's all like pushed up cleavage and sexy poses yeah, while fighting. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. this is not that. This is like the worst it got for me was like when you first see Gal Gadot, you're seeing her in this like leather bustier thing where like she's got molded cups and I'm like, but Amazons wouldn't do that because there's no point. And also a lot of the Amazons are wearing like, if you look closely, you realize that they're wearing wedge heels as part of their boots. And I'm like, yeah. there's literally no reason why they would have this. Didn't but those the are Amazons like, cut off one of their breasts to be better archers? Yeah. So, you know, things like, like those are my two little nitpicks where I was like, there was no reason that this society of women would have these elements in their wardrobes. But aside from that, like... I really had no problems and I was expecting to have a lot of problems going in. Right. Right. Yeah. But we can get into more about that later when we get to Ooh, our actual yes. topic of our show. It's true. I, oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I read some more um long longer form comics this week. Uh I got around to like I I've been slowly receiving uh comics that i backed on kickstarter like a year or two ago and i'm just now getting the finished the finished product so it's like i've got a new comic shop in my house of things that are beautiful and wonderful so um so i read uh boy i love you which is a comics anthology that i can talk about in a little more detail later but i also read Die Kitty Die, which I got at New York Comic Con last year. And it's by Fernando Ruiz and Dan Parent, who do a lot of uh, Archie comic stuff. And so yeah. Die Kitty Die is like this vicious satirical takedown of like everything about the comics industry in general and like vintage Archie comics. And it's so satisfying to read. It's just like, because it's you're seeing the style that they draw the Archie comics in. Yeah, but, like the, the the like the classic Archie style that you kind of see anytime you see an Archie Digest at the grocery store or something. Yeah, yeah. Right. So they're drawing like that, and then, but they've like made up their own character called Kitty, and she's like a riff on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. She's like if you combined Archie and Sabrina the Teenage Witch into one character, and like this is like the flagship of this comics company and you see how like mm-hmm. sales are going down so what's the publisher gonna do to raise profits he's gonna kill off kitty except she's a real witch so what are you gonna do to kill a real witch and it turns out like all the characters <laughs> in this verse like really exist so it's like kitty's ex-husbands are all coming for her and like this ripoff of casper the friendly ghost is coming for her and there's like oh man there's like so many really great visual nods to comics that were like super popular in like the 60s and 70s and they do some really fun like visual gags and the whole thing i just found so delightful and so ludicrous and the whole time i was like ah it's such it's like it's like four issues of inside joke about the comic industry and it's beautiful like they've that's awesome like they've like they uh they're at a comic convention and something dramatic happens in a panel and they're like, this will be all over bleedingstool.com. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and there's just, really, oh, there's just like really gross, <laughs> awful things like that where I'm just like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I know why I'm here. <laughs> yes, yes. 
So yeah, but how about you, Mike? What's up with you? Oh, I I finally got around to reading some comic books. I had some friends in town for a little bit, so I didn't really have a lot of time to read things, but um, they left earlier this past week, and then I just went to town on all the backlog books that I have. Um, I finally sat down and read Valiant High number three and four because I am a Comicsology Unlimited subscriber, and I can read that book, and I have a slight interest in Valiant books, so I figured why not. And this, this book pretty much plays out like a two th- early 2000s you know teen drama um where they they kind of tilt that that some of the tropes on the side but on its head but um for the most part it plays out how you expect um the end is a little goofy the end reminds me kind of reminds me of like a kids tv show like maybe teen, it reminds me of teen titans for some reason but it has it's not even close to teen titans i, I already know that i don't even watch teen titans but for some reason that's what comes to my head where all the all the people get their powers and they're like we have to fight against this evil and it gets real campy. Um, it was ultimately not a bad book. I really like Derek Charm's art and I think Daniel Kibblesmith. I think he nailed some of the characters really well. He nailed some of their relationships pretty well in this alternate universe high school where all the Valiant characters are high school students. Um, so I, you know, I finished that. I, I'd say if you're into Valiant, read that book. Uh, I read Baby Teeth Number One by Donnie Cates and Gary Brown. After Matt Horrock had told me, you know, he he was he read it and it was coming out, I was like, oh shit, I forgot about that book. So I picked up the first issue and read that. It, it's the story of of a woman who gives birth to the Antichrist, and um, I don't really know what else to say about it because it's <laughs> fucking peculiar, to to say the least. It is a peculiar book. Um, because it's really the story about a mother who just wants to get a, get her story to her son. But what that means when your son is the Antichrist, I don't know. And the first issue leaves you with a big cliffhanger. Um, so I definitely want to try number two. I don't know what else to say about that. Donny Cates and Gary Brown, what, what a weird combo for a book. And this, the art is stunning. They do some really cool visual moments where an, a thing happens. And so the art goes really wild and berserk. Uh, I really enjoyed that, uh, but otherwise, yeah, it's it's a fucking weird book. I'll just say that. Um, Night Owl Society number three by James Van House and Pius Bach or Pius Bach. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Um, this is a little three issue miniseries that I picked up on the like on a whim. I picked up number one the week that it came out because the art looked gorgeous, and the story ended up being really cool. It's about these three heists or these five high school kids they're kind of outcasts and weirdos and they become friends and or some of them are friends and they add in a couple more people and they're trying to essentially stop a big cart like drug cartel um it's it's like these little like teenagers get way over their head getting way over their heads and the twist on issue one i do not want to spoil it because it's a pretty cool twist um really hooked me in for the rest of the next two issues you don't really see three issue miniseries very often but i thought that this one delivered and executed its story really really well so if you're looking for just a really quick read it's i think the page or the books or the issues were maybe 32 maybe 48 pages they were it seemed a little longer um but it's still a three issue miniseries really well done the ending was i i I don't know i kind of liked it kind of didn't like it it was kind of in the middle um but overall beautiful book pretty well written um i read green valley number nine which is the final issue of the green valley miniseries by max landis and giuseppe camicoli and i definitely definitely dug the ending did not see a 
couple pieces of it actually coming. So I was very happy with that. Ultimately, though, Green Valley is a pretty pretty solid book, um, despite what you may think about Max Landis. Um, it was it's a pretty solid story, and the art is absolutely top notch. Kevin uh, Coley's art is is very perfect for the fantasy realm. And when he they do some flashes into the quote unquote future, um, he executed those pretty well too. I really like that book. Um, but the one thing that I really enjoyed that I loved beyond all books that I read this past week was Tetris, The Games People Play by Box Brown. Um, if you haven't seen this book or you haven't heard of Box Brown, do yourself a favor, pick up probably one of the best comics I've read this year. Um, by far, this this story is like a, it's a biographical story about the origins of Tetris, the creators, um, how Nintendo plays into it, how Atari played into it, like basically from how this game went from, I want to create a simple puzzle game from a Russian man in the middle of the USSR who worked at a like science laboratory to this worldwide phenomenon that potentially could have made this man millions and millions of dollars, but didn't because he was part of the Soviet Union. And they really didn't, you know, want to do that. So the money was taken by the government. It's it's a really cool book. You get a history of Nintendo. You get a little bit of a history on Atari, and you get to see how comics distribute. Sorry, video game distribution kind of worked in an era where video games were very new, and it cost a lot of money to be into video games. But if a video game did really really well, it could potentially make a, you know companies millions and millions of dollars just for licensing the comp or the the movie itself or the video game itself, oh, sorry words. Um, I, I can't I can't properly describe this book. If you want to read a really fucking amazing comic book, Tetris, the games people play, is amazing. Box Brown really knows how to deliver a story from a, in a terribly objective standpoint where he is not leaning towards any side because everybody's kind of got a weird gray moral area. Um, and history is, you know, it's all out there, but to put it into this digestible, consumable, understandable form as in a comic book is mind-blowing. He does this every time. He did this with uh, Andre the Giant book that he did, and I know that he's done it with a couple of other stories. This man, he is a fantastic comic creator. It's, that's all I can say. I love this book. If you haven't, have you, either of you read a Box Brown comic at all? Um, I I haven't, but you seem pretty sold on it. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm very this. I'm I'm a huge Tetris fan. I think like everyone, a lot of people who play video games, you know, they've you know sat down and played hours of Tetris and slept and dreamt of Tetris. Um, they go into that whole phenomenon stuff. So I, I've always had like a really high interest in Tetris, and to see it, you know, combined with my favorite medium in the entire world comic books it's it's pretty fantastic anyways i will i will stop blathering on we can talk about what we're excited <laughs> about this upcoming week i could just sit here and talk about this book forever i think and just go and keep saying it's awesome it's awesome it's awesome no it's good i'm uh, glad that you found something that so specifically fits into this very narrow venn diagram center that you've <laughs> <Yeah>. created <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, comic books come out on June 21st, 2017. What are you both excited for? We'll start with Kara. What's your pick for this week? Okay, so DC is doing this thing where they're doing crossovers between DC comic characters and their Looney Tune characters. So like the ones that are coming out this week are this like Wonder Woman Tasmanian Devil special, which like, okay. I'll buy that because he's a creature that could conceptually be 
in some kind of Greek mythology roster. And she's <laughs> she's done stuff like that before. Like, she could handle that. That's fine. Whatever. Lobo Roadrunner has me raising all of the eyebrows because what? <laughs> like, like... Roadrunner Road, in space. Roadru- Roadrunner in space. Okay, so first of all, Roadrunner's dead just there. If, like... Lobo's gonna fall into the Wily e. Coyote character. Like, are, is he gonna team up with Wily e. Coyote? Does he become like a? Is it a Coyote version of Lobo? I don't know. I desperately need to find out. So, just like <laughs> the, the just the the knowledge that someone looked at this idea, said yes, let's do that, is like blowing my mind. Like someone spent hours drawing these pages. And someone else spent hours coloring these pages. Like this is a work that people worked right. on, and we oh, should yeah. we should like value that. <laughs> See, this is almost like abs- as absurd as like you know the Archie Predator crossover or Archie Punisher. Like, okay, that was beautiful, you, and it was I, I, really I'm great not, writing. <laughs> I'm not saying that like it's it's those are immediately bad, but just the idea of the crossover seems so inane. That you it like you're you have to read it. You just have to know how does this even play out, right? I can't look away. Like I, exactly, <laughs> I need to exactly. Run to my comic book shop and be like, excuse me, I'm here for one thing and one thing only. <laughs> <laughs> Please design a, a subsequent poll list for me based on my interest in this one title. <laughs> oh, what would no. that What would that even look like if I went into a comic shop and said, I want the Lobo Roadrunner special. Also, can you recommend other similar titles? <laughs> that would be a great interview question for people who own comic shops and are I think that my neighbor has just set off a firework. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> As one does. Uh, you know, it's rural New England, like what yeah, can you do? So things are going crazy up there. Yeah. Uh we're pretty we're pretty like uh, don't tread on me around here unfortunately <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway okay. sorry i was saying that would be a great interview question if you own a comic shop when you're interviewing a new employee like here's some totally off the wall title now build <laughs> build this customer a pull list it's like oh man oh man what would even be on that like here here are this customer's interests uh the sword of the atom miniseries elf quest and the Superman issue where you find out that there's a red Superman and a blue Superman. <laughs> Go. Like I would quit. I would quit. <laughs> <laughs> Tia, what are you excited for this week? So Heartthrob season two is starting next week. This is a book by Christopher Sabela and Robert Wilson IV uh, with colors by Nick Filardi. And I absolutely loved season one. It's such a cool premise. It uh, It's basically about this woman named Callie who has a heart transplant. And then it turns out that the heart donor was this like master thief guy and he kind of manifests to her and they fall in love and then he teaches her all of his like master thief ways and they start pulling all these heists it's it's amazing i love it and it's set in the i i forget if it's like the late 70s early 80s but that's the aesthetic of it it's so great and then like you know there's trouble in paradise and they start like having you know problems in their relationship and things happen and so sees but they're tied together because his heart is in her kind chest. of yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um 
in season two, she's fled to Canada and she's trying to have a normal life. And I'm sure that's going to go great for her. <laughs> I'm sure it'll all be fine. It's just, it's really, it's a really fun book. So you should read the trade of the first season, which I think is six issues, and then you'll be all set for season two to start on Wednesday. That's all right. I that is the funniest concept for for a comic book ever. I love it. Um, I also uh, for, like. I have to wonder what is up with Christopher Savela because he just kickstarted another book called Short Order Crooks. Which I assume also has to alone. do with crime. And I'm just like, I feel like you have some things to teach us. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's amazing. Uh, my pick for this week is Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez's The Old Guard, number five. This book continues to blow, blow me away. Um, it's such a cool concept and... The, the stakes are super high. I believe that this is the last issue of the first arc, or at least the last issue number four was very, very high suspense at the end of the issue. So I'm really excited to see how this this issue plays out, especially because we're meeting the big bad face-to-face, um, or quote-unquote big bad. Um, he's just a crazy, rich, over-spoiled jerkwad who does a lot of push-ups. Um, and has a bunch of tattoos. It's it's a it's a weird bad guy, or I guess weird bad person, um, in the story. He, it's I don't even know how to describe it. But the art in this book is amazing. Fernandez's art it's it's not very typical comics. It's very rough. Everything is really um, stretched out. It, it, it's kind of the only way I can describe it. Um, it's I really like it. I don't know what it is, but it pulls me in every week or every month, um, all of the characters are very, very well drawn, like, his art style is very unique, but you can definitely tell characters apart, like, distinctly, even in small thumbnails, like, they have these specific shapes to them, and I really appreciate him doing that, because when you, you know, there's been a handful of shots in this book where you see a panel that has, you know, four characters walking side by side, or three characters walking side by side from a distance, and you can distinctly tell who who each person is. You don't need a speech bubble in order to figure that out. Um, so I'm really appreciating the way that he is, like, paid attention to detail for the for the reader. Um, but otherwise, you know, Greg Rucka, can he do wrong? I'm not sure at this point. <laughs> but, you know, it's... It's a fun book. If if I, I should pick, if Lazarus was coming out, I'd be picking Lazarus. But they're doing that whole delay thing. I just want to want Greg Rucker to write all of my comic books. I think. Oh, well, That's you could follow hot. him on Twitter. He does a lot of, you know, he's he has a lot going on on Twitter. Oh yeah, he's oh yeah, he's one of those quality. Like I feel like I have a list of comics people with quality Twitters. Mm-hmm. I my my go to. Co- uh, Twitter person for in comics is Annie Wu. She's my favorite. Yeah, her Tumblr's good too. Mm. Got to get back on Tumblr, I guess. That's I don't know. We'll How see. did you ever escape we'll in the first place? <laughs> I that's you know that's a good question. I I think it just came up. It was like one too many feeds, and I just cut that out of my life. I I couldn't do the mass number of pictures. For some reason, I ended up following a lot of people who just posted porn, and I was like, oh. I don't need that in my life all day. Don't you though? Um, like, I mean, not at work. <laughs> Tumblr is admittedly extremely time intensive because you go in and then you look up and 10 hours have passed and it's like a new season outside. That That's that's true as well. Yeah. 
Um, before we get into our discussion for today, I wanted to circle back and talk about the book that I read this week because I had such like an intense emotional reaction to it that I kind of oh, wanted to kind of wanted to save it for last. So oh yeah yeah yeah. So I read the Boy I Love You comics anthology, and it is a collection of stories about um like guys who are in love which of course is right up my alley with the whole like if they're the same gender there's no like weird gender dynamics they can just be themselves thing and all of these stories like none of them are like too sexualized they're all just focusing on like the actual relationships between the two boys who like like each other or love each other and this is going to sound random but it has relevance i promise have you guys seen the movie love actually not in a very long time okay but you know like the premise is just all these people are leading these interconnected lives and love actually is all around us and uh liam neeson's character loses his wife towards the beginning of the at the beginning of the film and so his storyline in the film is trying to figure out his relationship with his stepson, young stepson, and like he's lost the wife, the son has lost his mother, and they're trying to figure things out. And it transpires that the young kid is head over heels in love with a girl in his class, and he's like 10, but he's like, she's the one. And so they develop this like elaborate plan to like get the girl to notice the kid at like the Christmas concert and then it doesn't happen. And he's like, what am I gonna do? She's going back to New York. And Liam Neeson goes, tell her, tell her that you love her. And it's like the way he says it, like he's come to this epiphany himself, this moment that of course, this is the most obvious thing, but they spent the whole time doing these elaborate plots. Like, no, it doesn't matter. Just tell her that you love her. And he's like, if you don't, you'll regret it. I should have told your mother every day because she was perfect every day. And I just like, that every time I've seen this movie a hundred times and that line every time just like fills me with this surge of adrenaline because I'm not that person I'm not that person who's like here's my emotions take them I'm like well I have to think about this and all of the consequences and I don't like consequences but like whenever I see the film in that moment I'm just like yes it's obvious just tell them that you love them like duh and (laughs) that reading boy I love you made me feel like that Every single story, every single story in this comics anthology made me feel that same like pure surge of adrenaline and joy that I feel every time Liam Neeson says, tell him, tell her that you love her. And it was just like, like I had to put it down like halfway through because I was like, this is way too much emotional (laughs) intensity. Like I feel so I feel like I could conquer worlds right now. Like this is such a like I'm riding high on this feeling of like love is this beautiful thing that should be celebrated and embraced and it's just like i can't remember the last time a story or a group of stories made me feel like that level of sustained like happiness and like feeling of like obviousness like of course it's obvious just tell them that you love them and you'll figure it out mm-hmm. so so i that's, thought that's amazing yeah so i thought this was a really special work and i wanted to share that with everyone yeah i I've, I've seen i've seen that around a couple times i know um 
I, I know I've seen it on Twitter like half dozen times, maybe probably from you or, or some other people. Um, and I, like I, I feel like I missed the Kickstarter, so now I got to find a copy for myself because the the idea the the idea of the book is that we don't have stories like a lot of stories like this in the U.S. like that are published. Um, and it's it's traditionally like something that you see in 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 um, like manga, right? And mm-hmm. so they're trying to take that that story type and bring it over here. Um, but to hear that it's super duper positive and like really inspiring, that's I I gotta check it out. I have to find a copy now. It just made me believe in love. I was like, this is so beautiful, and it's just like I'm ready, world. <laughs> so you know. Well, thank you for sharing. I'm check out Boy I Love It. We'll find a link. I'll put that in the show notes. Male Fantasies, Male Fantasies. Is everything run by male fantasies? Up on a pedestal or down on your knees, it's all a male fantasy that you're strong enough to take what they dish out or else too weak to do anything about it. Even pretending you aren't catering to male fantasies is a male fantasy. Pretending you're unseen, pretending you have a life of your own, that you can wash your feet and comb your hair unconscious of the ever-present watcher peering through the keyhole, peering through the keyhole in your own head if nowhere else. You are a woman with a man inside watching a woman. You are your own voyeur. Margaret Atwood, The Robber Bride. This week's episode is about the male gaze in comic books and what that actually is, where it comes from, and why it's important for you to be aware of it. It's kind of a serious topic. So I will turn this over to the experts about what the male gaze actually is. I think that quote brilliantly covered everything that I've learned in the last week trying to bring myself into this episode with some information. So Tia, let's start with you. Where did this topic come from? Why did you want to talk about it on the show? Because in all in all honesty, you did bring this. So it's all your fault that we're talking about it this week. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> uh, I think that the concept of the male gaze is thrown around a lot when discussing visual media like comics. And I don't know if everyone is aware of the fact that it's actually a specific Uh, theory written by a specific person, Laura Mulvey. And so uh, it doesn't just mean a guy with eyes that are pointing those eyeballs at something. That's not the male gaze, right? So um, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And it's a little bit less about individuals and more about uh, a kind of macro way of looking at the way people's stories are presented and consumed. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense to me. But I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> but I think we may need to go into a little more detail about like how we've how we've gotten there, I guess, or how like maybe examples of what yeah. that means. So, so that, to get a more concrete answer. A very basic way of putting it is that uh, to look at something is a masculine trait is a masculine is a masculine purview and to look at something is to assert power over it and to be looked at is a feminine 
trait. And so in Laura Mulvey's essay about the uh, the male gaze, she talks about different films and how the male characters are the ones with who are doing, who are the, you know, they have action, they, they're protagonists, and the, the viewers of these films identify with the men and the women in, in these stories are uh, acted upon, they're looked at. And, you know, so this is a very oversimplified way of putting it. It gets a little more nuanced in other uh, examples. And that's, in fact, one criticism of Laura Mulvey um, and her initial essay about the male gaze. But yeah, so basically looking at male power, looked at women, feminine, disempowered. Right. And, and, and when it comes to comic books, from my understanding, um, this is primarily shown in, in any comic book where, you know, when it, uh, a female character is introduced to the story and you are immediately drawn to seeing them in like a, some sort of like sexy pose or some sort of thing that, that basically shows off their entire body or shows off just a part of their body, not them, which it seems like there, there's a very fine line between showing a character and showing a character's parts, which is really weird, even if you're seeing the full figure of that character. Um, and I, 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 there was a one article that I read, and I've got a bunch of articles that I'll post in the show notes about this, but there was a clip uh, or a screen cap from all-star Batman and Robin, which, okay, right away we're prop- steep and pr- or stooping pretty low um, for examples, but um, where a character shows up and the only, the first thing you see of this character is her in see-through panties from behind, like, and you just see her waist. That's it. Like, that's, that's the introduction for the character, the first time showing up in the comic book. And it's, it's a question of who is that panel for, right? Because the entire concept here I think that we're looking at is what is this who is this being presented for is it being presented for women is it being presented for men and you'll find I think that if you think about this more and I think the more we talk about this you'll find that the majority of things are aimed at heterosexual men yeah men in general and that's to me like the idea of looking and saying like putting a blanket statement it was kind of irksome to begin with but the more I read about it the more I was like holy shit this is all just geared towards my sex like my gender um and that's unbelievably unfair which is why this is important to think about and talk about yes and there's all oh sorry kara no it's okay no i was just thinking um tia what you were saying when you were uh describing you know men as the the characters who are moving the action forward and they're the ones who are looking, which is like an active thing to do. And women are the more passive, like being looked at. And it just uh, made me think about how, you know, you think about how comics in the U.S. started as coming out of um, like the like the pulps and the pulp magazines and uh, noir storytelling happening around the same time. And the majority of those stories had a male protagonist who was pushing all of the action forward and he was doing all of the things and the most commonly used like trope for women in those stories was the damsel in distress so she's there either like she's in trouble and the guy has to like do everything to save her 
And mm-hmm. at the end, he gets the girl, or he has the opportunity to get the girl, but decides that, like, justice is the higher calling. But she's not doing <laughs> anything. She's just there to say, like, I have a case for you to solve, or I've been kidnapped, and you need to come save me. But she's not actually doing anything. She's just there to be eye candy. Right. She's the actionable thing. She's the thing that... that, that it, it, Right there, there's my phrasing that's just terrible, but she's the thing in the story that no, needs that's to be solved, exactly right? right. That's it. And that, yeah. right, and that's that's the problem, right? That's that's the you know the character isn't a character; they are just an object in the story, and that's that is the gaze, that is the thing. It's yeah. the, it's the acting upon them rather than acting with them or them being the actor. You know what I mean? And it becomes a problem because since that is since so clearly, there's a million examples. Hopefully, people are just thinking of right now as we're describing what this is, and that's the overwhelming. Uh, like type of story that you're being subjected to then like w- how are women supposed to view themselves in the world in general if all they're being told is that they are an object or the thing that the guy revolves around mm-hmm. yeah it because you know Mike you said a little while ago that uh, that panel that introduced the character with the see-through panties who is that for and yes it's for men but women who are also part of the audience they take on the role of the male gaze as well so they're conditioned to um, like sort of self-objectify um the right. the essay where where Laura Mulvey introduces the the male gaze is called visual pleasure and narrative cinema and so and she talks about the the kind of freudian concept of like the pleasure of looking at someone who doesn't know that you're looking at them um <laughs> yeah. there's that a word, word for that's this. very hard Scopo- it's, it's... scopophilia yeah yeah I, I can't pronounce that in my head <laughs> so i'm not gonna try <laughs> scopophilia right and so this so uh it's not only that you know, oh, here's this thing and it's for men and women are just left out of the picture. Women are conditioned to look this way as well. Only it's very, it's kind of a, it it begins this kind of feedback loop of self-objectification. And that's why I think there's a lot of third wave feminist critique of the male gaze because third wave feminism, which I am not, <laughs> I'll, admi- I, uh, I'll admit right now that I'm, I don't entirely subscribe to all of the tenets of third wave feminism, because I think that an individual woman can recognize and repudiate this type of thinking. But I think it's important to keep the bigger picture in mind where this sort of thing is still very much in play. I think you can look at any fashion or lingerie advertisement and agree that the male gaze is still very much a thing yeah sure nobody right. wants to put on a bustier and a corset or a you know a thong it, like it does i've yet to hear the compelling argument about why those those garments are empowering to a person personally oh you're gonna love wonder woman there's a there's like a brief scene where they talk about that oh yeah and you know here's the other <laughs> here's something i'm gonna say before i get any hate mail everyone has to exist in the world as it is. And so if you do find some sort of personal satisfaction from sexy pinup girls or dressing up in lingerie or I mean, like I put on makeup, I shave my legs, I wear heels like I, I objectify myself all over the place. You you do at a certain point have to make a decision to exist in the world. And 
something to keep in mind is it's okay if not everything you do is the platonic ideal of feminist empowerment. It's okay. You know, it's okay if you're a man and you look at a sexy woman in a comic and think that's really sexy. Like it doesn't mean you're a bad person or that even that you're a bad feminist, but mm-hmm. it it's important to have the language to kind of talk through like, you know, this is why I shouldn't unconsciously go through the world thinking these thoughts because they can do real damage. Right. See, there was there was to to go back to what you were saying about you know the like the Victoria's Secret ads or whatever. There was, um, there was a a piece of an article that I read that was really interesting to me about how this this idea of of gazing or women self-gazing which is a weird thing like as you said objectifying themselves um has existed forever in the sense that when you look at old pieces of 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 art and you see like paintings of women they're usually looking at themselves in a mirror like they become the gazer but it's it's, they're acting on the male gaze to look at themselves which is like totally just blew my mind because i never once would have considered that as like an option here because that we in my head i have it you know, when someone says male gaze or masculine gaze, which is maybe the more politically correct term, I don't know. Um, but when someone says that, I immediately think, oh, just men. Right. Just men can do right. this. And, and it, 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 it's really, like, it's eye-opening to understand, like, this is, this is a pervasive thing that affects everyone. And it's not just men versus women. It's all people against the societal construct that has been ingrained in us for hundreds of years. Um, Could not have said it better. It's just eye-opening so but sorry okay so we're talking about like the the bigger greater concept and we see that I, I mentioned this in comic books a little bit but um you know where do we where do we see this getting i guess to try to move this topic a little bit more forward unless carrie you have other things to say i don't mean to talk over you um but like how do where do we see this getting better where do we or how can we make this better in comic books in specific so i'll start somewhere and end up somewhere else so sure go uh, for it so a <laughs> I was thinking about this topic and a specific comic book example that I have of the male gaze is like, okay, so when I got into comics when I was a teenager, I really enjoyed reading um, superhero comics. And if they had female leads, like more the better, because I loved female superheroes. I liked um, being able to like have that power fantasy Um, but as I got older and looked back at some of the books that I really enjoyed reading as a teenager, I realized that most of them were done, like, from that male gaze point of view. Like, I really loved, when it came out, Gotham City Sirens, which was Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and Harley Quinn basically being three besties hanging out together and the series started where they were all kind of at like a low point where they felt really vulnerable so they decided to like team up as friends to like watch each other's backs and stuff and I recently went back to flip through some of the issues of that series and it's overwhelming like it made me uncomfortable as an adult who like knew more about this theory and had more like life experience that all of the women in this series were like shown in various stages of undress and like the comic panel would be just like showing their like tits and ass and like Mm -hmm. they're, they're very like it's supposed to be it was supposed to be like this empowering book but it ended up just being like this really titillating excuse to have 
these very attractive women be together in like sexy poses in the at the same time and so that was something that to me I was like oh my god and I was reading this as an impressionable teenager so (laughs) I was I was like reading like and I took value from the book like as like a, a positive example of like female friendship but also I was getting a lot of subconscious messages that there's a specific way that I as a woman was supposed to like look and act in order to receive male attention and it's not even just to receive male attention it's like in order to be allowed to be a protagonist in your own life you need to appeal to the male gaze and then you're free to be a person but you have to achieve that that you know sexiness factor first then you're allowed after that to maybe be a person because then whatever you do will be entertaining for the men to, to watch you do. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, Joss Whedon is such a great example of this. Like, every, he's such a phony feminist in the way that he treats woman characters. Like, you know, oh, man. his quote Shots unquote fired. strong, <laughs> yeah, I, fight me, Joss. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get off on it too, except like, oh, God. yeah. No, I've recently changed my mind about this. Tia, keep going. <laughs> no, no, Tia, you have to get dressed up in like a ballroom dress before you can fight Joss. No, I, mean, I know. And then it has to like sexily rip off of me, right? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, no, if but, we're going to have a real fight, you got to get to that. You play, know, to, play to the, your card. Sorry. Sorry. Having, <laughs> having a quote unquote, strong woman character that then gets torn down in some way or punished in some way uh, is a is a particular type of, of fantasy that uses the male gaze in, a, in an almost I don't know um, like backhanded way that makes it easier to hide because ultimately like it still is this male fantasy of controlling of looking out of asserting power over the, and and it's almost like it's worth more because she was stronger to begin with mm-hmm. you know um it yeah i don't know if you saw the leaked wonder woman uh script stuff that was circulating recently but i mean even black widow is a great example of this or buffy which i always hated so you know i'm sure fans have more examples but yeah you know it's just um even in stories of strong women it's very easy to insert the male gaze right i think that's why i liked the um the black widow books that marguerite stoll writes because are those like the the ya novels yeah and like so i read the first one and the second one i just i just got and um like natasha the black widow is definitely um a protagonist the protagonist in this even if uh the story is not always from her point of view and following her but um like she's not over sexualized and the focus is like not on her appearance and i think because it's a book and not a visual medium it's easier to forget that most of the time she's in like this tight fitting leather cat cat suit so like i enjoy reading those books because then i'm just like yes here's this kick-ass woman who has this like shady past where she's done horrible things and now she's trying to make things better and I was mm-hmm. able to just focus on like that and her growth as a person as opposed to like how hot she was looking. And you know this, right. I mean, 
A skin-tight leather suit has tactical significance for someone like Black Widow. Fine. Right. It doesn't need to be unzipped to her belly button. <laughs> it doesn't need a boob window. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't need... <laughs> I mean, like, when Power Girl's leotard goes away, then maybe I'll have a little more soft feeling toward DC women, but that oh. I just don't get. Oh, let me tell you. So... Supergirl is another great example of this. Like, I read Supergirl comics like crazy when I was younger because she and I Mm -hmm. have the same name, obviously, and it's awesome. And um, there was this one. So in like 2005 or six, DC like brought her back. And I'm not going to get into the backstory because it's just like a little over the top even for DC. But um, she like comes to Earth and Superman and Batman are like trying to figure out like what to do with her and the series that she got is like her figuring out her place in the world and like hanging out it starts out with her hanging out with all these different superhero teams to like figure out what's going on and you know Supergirl's walking around in her like midriff totally bare thing in like the third issue I think that she's like back she's like going shopping in Metropolis and she's like wearing a thong that you can visibly see like coming up over the edge of her like low-rise blue jeans and like her oh, whole boy. outfit is skin tight bitches and, like, be the- shopping Kara. <laughs> right and it's like you know i and i saw this and at the time like you know i'm an impressionable teenager and i'm just like oh i guess that's like what's attractive or whatever and like she's in this issue where she meets the justice society and they address her like bare midriff that she constantly has when she's talking to Stargirl, whose uniform is also a bare midriff. And mm-hmm. Stargirl is just like, well, it's great because then the bad guys are looking at your skin and not your fists. Oh, my. All right. This does and bring like- up a really interesting <laughs> thing, though, because it's it's not wrong that women who are able to conform to this ideal do benefit in some ways within the oppressive system that they're forced to exist in, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, she's not wrong. That is is leverage that women can use within this horrible system. Right, but, like, that's, like, (laughs) the excuse that Power Girl uses all the time, too. I think the least least sexualized explanation I think Power Girl has ever given – for her boob window is that she was like, she goes through this whole big thing about how she was trying to figure out like if she should have a symbol and like, should she use Superman's symbol because convoluted backstory. And then she was like, and then I decided I don't need a symbol because I know who I am. And like, that's what matters or something like that. And I was like, okay, but like there is no actual way that you would be a female crime fighter and wear that. Like look at, actual female crime fighters they don't look like that therefore your entire argument is invalid i mean well we're gonna you guys didn't hear about this probably because it's very new but they're changing the new york city police uniform just for women to have that same boob window um this (laughs) total joke sorry very dry sorry um you know this brings up the hawkeye initiative and and i think that maybe it's a good time to segue into uh our favorite argument is there any such thing as the female gaze? And what is the value oh. of subverting the male gaze by subjecting yeah. it to men? Yeah, thank you. I was going to transition. By subjecting men good. to it. Sorry, the yes. words yeah, are no, hard. Yeah, no, go for it. <laughs> the, no, the Hawkeye Initiative, I think, is a perfect example of, like, even even though something like this exists, it doesn't, 
it's it's it doesn't exist like and i remember i remember at, at some point probably like i think when we first met we were like very early on just having beers hanging out a couple times like we had talked about this briefly and i remember being so frustrated thinking yeah of course it exists of course the female gaze exists because like women can look at men but that's not what that is like do you I, not yeah. have eyes but that's not what like the female gaze isn't it's not like women looking at men it, again it goes back to this this we, we put like a gendered label on it but it is not a gendered thing it's a societal like yes understanding of perception exactly and so even something like the hawkeye initiative existing like yeah you can see all of these men wearing their like what would be considered their female counterpart i their guess dick or whatever their dick window <laughs> <laughs> i've seen the butt crack window which i thought was very very choice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but sorry could you explain what the hawkeye initiative is i will i will stop talking the hawkeye initiative is a brilliant tumbler that curates images of male superhero characters drawn in the costumes and poses of female superheroes to emphasize how utterly ridiculous and stupid and pointless they are. Yes. And then, yes. And so by by drawing men this way, it doesn't it does not objectify them because in this idea of the male gaze and looking at being masculine or sorry uh yeah looking at being masculine and asserting power and being looked at is is feminine and being disempowered um it doesn't quite map when you put it on when when you turn the lens on men and i think part of the reason for that is because a, it is seen as very virile and masculine and powerful to have a lot of bitches be staring at you, right? Like, <laughs> right, you know, right. it, it's proof of your masculinity if if you're if women want you, and um, that's just me speculating. That's not like a, a Laura Mulvey thing, but right. um, but yeah, it just it's because women, in order for a woman to have that kind of powerful gaze it by definition becomes the male gaze even though it's coming out of a woman's eyeballs but it's less but it's less powerful because as a society we don't give women the power to define men as people through their sexuality right because even even in in these pictures where you see these you know big be these here's the thing it's these big hunky guys with you know rippling muscles wearing these very skimpy outfits at the end of the day we still celebrate that in our society like we 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 empower and push men to do that like if for example look at like any action movie you've ever seen starring you know arnold schwarzenegger or rambo or conan the barbarian or anything like that we we like in he-man for instance you know we we push these men we want them to show off their muscles we want them to be like wearing quote-unquote skimpy things because it shows off their their like huge masculine bulges that are their muscles and other parts of their body right <laughs> huge masculine bulges is definitely yes. the episode title <laughs> yes so i mean not a euphemism except it even, is <laughs> even when you even when you switch try to switch the roles and say like oh look at these men wearing these things like it's it's funny and it's almost it's half celebrated because it's not unrealistic to see a man dress a man dress like that and and have them appear powerful and not objectified because of that right like you're not looking at conan and going ooh look at those muscles on that guy and you know fanning your face it's like no look at he man he's being big and powerful he's got a sword like it, it's 
and that's it, the societal like understanding. Sorry. Yeah, no, this is definitely not to say that there is no such thing as sexual um, harassment or sexual assault where a woman is perpetrating it on a man. Like men definitely can be the victims of those types of behaviors and crimes. So mm-hmm. it's not, this isn't to say that on an individual level, you can't be made to feel uncomfortable by a woman's leering at you or that, you know, a woman hasn't mistreated you sexually in some way. Like this is kind of just looking at the, at the, the broader narratives that people use to kind of navigate the world and the gender politics of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Hawkeye initiative. I, I have, I haven't been to that site in a little while. I think I'm going to waste some time on that today. <laughs> You know, yeah, I I was talking to someone recently about a pinup of a of a comic book character, and she was just sitting there, like sort of lounging, in, in a in a really skimpy outfit, and he was like, "I don't understand what's wrong with this. Like, she's she's not doing anything bad. She's not doing anything sexy. She's just sitting there." And I'm like, "Exactly. She's literally just." sitting there she is the title character in this book and she is just sitting there it blew hawkeye initiative blew his mind like it it had never occurred to him right and so i think honestly like you really just have to be patient when with people and and help get them there and it does make sense once it once everything clicks into place totally i i really recommend i some of the articles that i'm putting in the show notes um, from Tia and myself and Kara, if you have anything, please drop some stuff in. Um, I really suggest reading over these these brief overviews and these points, like just 10-point stories about like what this actually means and how you can better understand the world around you, and specifically in, for you know our show, for comic books, um, to just say, like, why is something being presented to me like that? Um, I think if, if there were books out there that you would say, or, or I guess, do either of you know books out there that try to get away from this and instead focus more on story and try not to be male gazy? I mean, I know it's it's pretty much everywhere. It's in everything. Um, but if there were books or anything like that out there that you could think of that um, do this less or, you know, don't do it as much. I mean, it's like a lot of the books that are being made for like a YA audience like a younger audience or just like less sexual in general um Mm -hmm. I think when you start getting into like mainstream comic books there's still just like an overwhelming element of like here are women and they're like dressed to be like super attractive even if that's like has nothing to do with who they are like even even our fan favorite Dr. Afra, like she's a scientist but she just so happens to be drawn as a very attractive woman but like with a thigh gap yeah so it's like (laughs) you know it's true I mean I do think that having more diversity at the creator level this is honestly like our solution for literally every problem in comics and maybe one (laughs) day someone will listen to us and actually make it happen like you know, having diversity at the creator level is what is going to give, I mean, because like, like I, like we really like Heathen and Heathen, the main character is basically running around in a leather bikini, but I don't feel like she's being objectified as much as like other characters in that situation because she's like on a quest and like constantly going and doing stuff. And she just so happens to be wearing 
a bikini, but it's not done like, oh my God, she's so sexy. Look at this. It's just like, this is what she's wearing. Right. She's not presented to us like in that manner. Instead, she's just a character. Like this is going back to that thing that I was talking about earlier with you can present a character and you can show off a character. You know what I mean? Um, we never get a focus like that in that book. She just is in the book. She's just the character, you know? Um, I don't think, even though she, like you said, she isn't wearing like this kind of bikini-esque thing, um, it's never the focal point of her character by any means. Like, no one calls it out. It's never doted on by any means in the story. It's just I actually who love she that is. she has like a soft little belly. Mm-hmm. Like, just a <laughs> yeah. little tiny one. <laughs> yeah. She feels like a real person. Yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Something... Oh, sorry. No, I'm, I'm just like thinking about this. I get really, really frustrated um, when the overwhelming, like, like the the stereotypical picture you see of cosplay at a convention is a bunch of women dressed up as Slave Leia from Return of the Jedi. Or Playboy and, Bunny versions of characters. Right, but right. like, so Slave Leia specifically because Princess, because Carrie Fisher's in that outfit for like a scene at most and it's meant to be a disempowering thing. She's literally a slave. She is powerless until she, you know, whips the chain around Jabba's let's call it a neck and like <laughs> chokes the li- like chokes the life out of him. But for every other instant of that series, she's like basically covered from neck to toe and is constantly moving forward and hustling. Meanwhile, her twin brother is like, I'm a farm boy playing with my toy planes on Tatooine. And she's like, I'm a senator running Ill- illegal like schematics for the resistance. And it's like, She's doing stuff, but people j- like really focus on that one part where she's disempowered and you see like her whole body. And mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. like something that I always think of when I think of the male gaze because I'm like, really? Yeah, she's no, that's like, right. And yeah, then it's especially this- upsetting to think about the real life backstory of that and and the pressure that Carrie Fisher was put under to lose weight for that scene and all of, you know, it's just just like, really... Yeah, it makes me Leia's, so happy that she hated that whole thing too. Yeah, <laughs> she was yeah. like, "Are you serious?" Like, honestly, like Leia is so much more than that scene, and it's it's yeah, it's astounding to think that that's what people focus on the most, um, especially given the way that th- her role in The Force Awakens. Like, you're like, that's that's the Leia that I want. That's the Leia that I remember. Like, this slave Leia bullshit has nothing to do with her character, um, and in like who she was because she was not that that character in the story and when i see dudes cosplaying slave leia which happens uh they're just having a grand old time and it's hilarious and it's right. just a big game right because it's funny yeah. when you see someone do that right it's, it's a humorous like look at it again it goes it goes back to this you're looking at them but it's not them being objectified it's them as the center of this the narrative yeah I, when the male gaze comes up in comics i find a lot of people bring up like oh when like the like Tia's right sometimes the conversation will veer immediately into into objectification and kind of just stop there on that superficial level of it mm-hmm. and uh, people will bring up Nightwing a lot in talking about how like oh but there's like dude versions of that too and like okay sure like Nightwing is sometimes objectified sexually more than other male superheroes but like it's like having one example that you can name off the top of your head versus literally every representation of an adult woman in this medium is right. like 
Also, it's, it's not his reason for existing. Exa- yes, thank you. Yes. Like, he's not being disenfranchised because of his sexuality. Yeah. Right? No, it's like there's no such thing as reverse racism. That's... Oh, gonna, that's a whole. Other, we're gonna get a whole lot of different. That's a whole different different discussion. We're gonna get a um, lot of letters. So, all <laughs> we're right, just trying so, to make people think. Yeah. So, all right. So, to wrap up, do, go read Hex as a. Or, sorry, go read Heathen, but also read Hex because that's an awesome book. I have oh, yeah. that in my notes because I think that book. I think that book does a pretty good job. Bitch Planet um, is a good one. I mean, Bitch Planet. Yes. You know. Mm-hmm. Just read yeah. Bitch Planet. I mean, we're not even gonna give you any reasons why. You just need to read it. Just read it as part of the show. Um, <laughs> this is your homework. Everyone's homework. Bitch planet right now. Yes, yes. Um, but okay, so thank you. I think I think we'll wrap the discussion here. I think we could probably talk for another two or three hours. Maybe we'll do another episode around a similar topic in the future. Um, but we can we can wrap up the show here. If unless you either of you have more points you want to add, I don't want to cut you off for any reason other than time. I think we're good. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, all right. So for I Read Comic Books, thank you for listening. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter at IRCB Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Rappin. Um, Tia, you are portrait, on Twitter as... Portrait of Madame X. Madame is the French uh, abbreviation MME. Yes, and it's it's kind of weirdly spelled, but you can you can find it in the show notes. Kara, you are on Twitter as... At Kara, S-Z-A-M. Yes, as Kazam. And <laughs> don't forget to join the Goodreads group. We just started our summer reading list. We had everyone from the show give a book they want you to read over this summer, as well as a bunch of the regular com- contributors on the Goodreads group talking about you know what book you should read this summer. And I think we're going to do some sort of giveaway for people that finish it. I'm not really sure, but Kate runs that, and she's the absolute best. Um, go talk to her. She's on there 24-7, 365. She doesn't care about holidays. She doesn't care about her birthday. <laughs> she's on Goodreads. Go check that out. It's um, a beautiful reading list, and everyone can find something new. Oh, yeah, and it's, oh, it's top-notch. There's some really choice books in there that I'm really excited to have a reason to read now. Uh, you can check out the website at ircb.us where you can check all the backlist episodes of the show as well as our weekly pull list posting where everyone or some people from the show jump in there and say what they're excited for this upcoming week. Um, you can rate and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher and pretty much anywhere where podcasts are found except for SoundCloud because I, it's just a lot of money and I don't want to spend that much money to put us on SoundCloud. Uh, you can email the show at ircb at destroythesive.org. I know I was supposed to give you both like things to say, but I totally forgot to do that. Keep going. <laughs> You can you can email the show at ircb at destroythesibe.org. Infinity Shred does all the music for our show. They're the absolute best band in the entire universe. Go check out their music on Bandcamp. Uh, Xander is a wizard. Also, he edits the show. He's the best. I love that guy to death. Um, without him, this show would be nowhere. So thank you, Xander, as always. And I want to say thank you to you, the listeners. Thank you to Tia and Kara for being on the show this week. Woo. I'm so glad we were able to ha- to do this episode. But thank you to the listeners. You guys make this show awesome. Please send us feedback. Please send us ideas. We love you. I know that you love us. So go out there, rate us, say hi, tell your friends, do all these different things. We are more than happy to talk to you on the internet. So for Mike, Tia, and Kara, thank you for listening to I Read Comic Books. We will check you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.